good to be in the house of the Lord. Anybody else feel that way? Amen. Um, you can be seated. Do you still want it or not? Yes. Thank you. So, tonight, before we get started, I thought why we get transitioned and... Uh, my wife and I get transitioned, I would make a few announcements that I'll talk about a little bit more as they get the whiteboard up here. We're getting official. <laughs> Amen. Saturday at 8 o'clock is all church prayer. Uh, the last few prayer meetings that we've had have been absolutely uh, fantastic. And I believe that that has bled in over into our services and uh, it would be very important and advantageous for you to be here uh, on Saturday. Someone said, well, it's not convenient. Well, it's not convenient at all. But it's prayer. Prayer is not convenient to our flesh. And if it doesn't feel convenient, that means it's probably the right thing to do. So that's kind of how I look at that. Um, if you have a pen and paper, which I hope that you do have, I want to just give you a few dates. We had our planning meeting um, this uh, weekend and a few dates that I want to give you now for next year that are important to you. Amen? We'll be putting these out on the members page and talking more about it. But uh, February the 6th after church, February the 6th is going to be a volunteer fair. If you want to get involved in something at our church, uh, wanting to know what's going on, uh, this will be a good time for you to come and find a way for you to get plugged in. Uh, March, very excited to have um, for the Doug Kleindienst will be with us on Saturday, the 19th of March and the 20th of March. Very exciting, hasn't been here in a few years. He is a tremendous uh, evangelist and we are looking forward to him uh, being with us. Very excited for him to be with us on that date. Um, there's another date that I want to give you here, May uh, 21st and 22nd. Uh, Brother Daniel Walters will be with us in service. He's a little fiery guy from Virginia, and uh, we are excited. And I would suggest that you look up on YouTube, Doug Kleindetz and Daniel Walters, and see uh, who these are that are coming in. You'll be excited. That uh, 22nd, we plan on having church Saturday night, Sunday morning, and then we're going to have a combined service on that evening with Daniel Walters on that Sunday evening with churches from all over the area coming in. Amen? Last but not least, what I wanted to get to before we started here was June. I know we're jumping clear into June, but before you know it, it'll be June, and then you'll be like, I didn't hear nothing about it. I planned vacation. So June 3rd, 4th, and 5th, we're going to be doing a marriage retreat on Friday and Saturday with uh, brother and sister Wolford will be with us. And then he'll be staying over Sunday and speaking with us. But June has been dedicated as uh, Family Enrichment Month. And we're going to be doing all kinds of different things in that month for families. And we're going to start it off with working with our marriages on that weekend. And we're going to try. We're, we're working right now, efforting with a place in Amish country. We'll all meet, have a dinner, have a meeting, spend the night, get up in the morning, eat breakfast, have a meeting. And then you all can shop until you drop and eat as many donuts and buffets as you can. Every man should have said amen. All right? Okay, 
So, are you ready? All right. So we are going to be talking on our uh, second lesson. Uh, we're praying that we can get through this tonight. Uh, and we're going to be talking about uh, Christian lifestyle. And uh, we're going to be talking about some practical holiness things tonight. Um, we have to bring um, this topic down to where we live and how we live. And uh, we have three things that teach us holiness. Every Christian should. Every Christian should understand this. We have the Bible, the supreme teacher, the commandments of God. We have spiritual leaders. Number two, God has given us leaders. And they are commissioned by God to help us take the Bible's principles and apply them to contemporary modern situations in living. How we interact. like Things like the internet, how we interact with it. It's a very critical issue in how we live today. Amen? So uh, let me start. Number three, the Holy Spirit itself in our lives, it gives us promptings. Amen? The Holy Spirit. Now, um, let me just, before we begin, begin, say that um, this is subjects tonight that we feel like we need to talk about and we need to teach on and we need to uh, build but it will help us tonight as shepherds. If we say something that you all agree with, give us a little bit that you're alive and with us tonight. Alive and with us. Okay? So those three things that we brought up tonight, we talked about it last week, just a little bit of a uh, bringing it back together to re refresher, is that all three of those things have to agree. Uh, the Bible, the spiritual leaders, and the spirit itself have to agree. Um, and so tonight we're going to be talking about Christian lifestyles when it comes to uh, ladies. And uh, we start off with that because the Bible is very specific and it teaches a, um, a lot on, on how our ladies should live. But you'll be surprised at how much it teaches on how the men should live as well. We don't get off easy. Um, but women are very different than men. I'm thankful for the one man that was brave enough to say amen. We have an issue in society today where that it's trying to blend the sexes, the man and the woman, uh, too much. In, in, in the Bible addresses a man and it addresses a woman. But it addresses women more often in the area of how we appear, how they appear to men. Okay? And it all begins with how creation began. So men are tempted by sight. It's their primary gateway for their temptations is sight. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 28, whosoever looketh on a woman, looketh. A man is attracted to a woman first by the way that she looks before he connects with her emotionally. If somebody says, hey, I'd like to introduce you to my, my friend, she has a great personality. That is code for she's homely, but she's nice. But what is the first thing that your flesh says? What does she look like? 
And the first thing that you'll do, she might be the nicest person in the world. It could be the best fit for you uh, as somebody, as a partner. And they might help you and be the greatest helpmeet in the world. But the very first thing that you look at and you're like, ooh, uh, that's how men are. Scripture doesn't say whoever looketh on a man, though, sins in their heart. Sins in her heart. Thank you. It doesn't say anything about how the woman, it just says the man. I got corrected last week when I said that the man is not good looking. That was my very heterosexual sense coming out in me. But a woman is, that's typically not how she is attracted. So the scripture doesn't say whosoever looketh on a man commits sin in her heart. It's the opposite because man is drawn by sight. And this is not to say that a woman cannot be tempted uh, visually, right? We know, we, okay, we're not trying to say that she, she can't be tempted that way, but it shows that it's primarily an area of temptation for a man. Women are different. Women are tempted or stimulated by touch. This can absolutely be physical touch, but I'm talking about emotional touch, too. Um, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1, it says it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Obviously not referring to a married couple, right? A woman is tempted to do something wrong or immoral or have an affair on her husband, not when a man dresses seductively, but when a man touches her emotionally. Go ahead. It's not just a physical either. Right. Go ahead. I'm sorry. You're going to get there. I'm sorry. It, when he touches her emotionally. Yeah, right. emotionally, but not just physically. Mm -hmm. But explain a little bit how a man, or do you want me to do what I'm thinking well, you're about? you're a man, so... We knew we might be interrupting each other a lot tonight. That's okay, because men and women are different. Men are, men are conniving. Very conniving, and they're very intelligent when it comes to how to, and I'm going to use the word, seduce a woman. And it won't just be a physical touch like she said. It'll be an emotional, but it'll be just a little earworm. Well, you look nice today. And it's all in how it's said. She's down, she's upset, she's angry, she's hurt. And what does that predator do? He swoops right in mm -hmm. on the weak right. and the broken prey. Right. So that's, I have a little side note here that's for us ladies, that if a man is trying to connect with us emotionally by doing some of those things that he just mentioned, and he's not our husband... It's not godly, and That's it's not right. right, and something is wrong. Yes. Something's wrong. And there should be something within you, right. in your Holy Ghost, that gives you a little bit of an alarm. Right. If not, then there's a problem with you, as well as him. Right. Remember, we are trying to guard this temple. We're trying to guard this temple, this temple of the Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. My body is presented as a living sacrifice. 
okay? We're trying to keep this temple clean and holy mm. to the best of our ability because a holy God lives inside of me. It's good. Amen. So, yes, in the Bible, there are more external, quote, unquote, standards or lifestyle uh, determinations for, for women and more internal standards for men. We're going to explain that, but you're gonna, you'll understand what we mean. Because with women, our challenge is to appear godly in an ungodly world. That's right. And for men, their challenge mostly is to act godly in an ungodly world. That's tough. So the Bible gives us women more guidelines or standards to protect her from the lusts of men and to protect men from her body or appearance to become a temptation to them. Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verses 8 through 10. I think they're going to help us out too with media. Go ahead. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Men are commended in, commanded in Scripture to act holy. She was reading that, and I said tough, and I said rough, because society today is very poignant on what they say is beautiful for a man and handsome for a woman. Mm -hmm. Society tries to drive the narrative on what is what is and what is not beautiful. And, and unfortunately, in our culture, it didn't start just today, it's been going on for quite a while, is that the narrative has been written that the more... Uh, the less that a woman wears, or the tighter that it is, that more attractive that she'll be. Flash. Listen, if you're beautiful, you don't need flash to attract a man. A fish needs flash. But a woman should be strong enough in her personality and who she is to be able to attract the right man. And if the right man's living the right way, then it shouldn't be a problem with him seeing her as beautiful in who she is. But in the scripture we just read, that we, we see the appetites of the flesh lift up holy hands without wrath, without anger, it says. Without doubting, apathy, cynical, disconnected, don't care. In like manner, women are to adorn themselves. That speaks directly about appearance. Clearly more of an issue for women than it is for men, okay? Anytime that word hands is used in scripture, it's referring to external. That's good. The external part. Not, we're not talking about just, you know, your physical hands. That's good. Modest apparel, clothing, shamefacedness, and sobriety. Basically meaning attitude. So when we say sobriety, we're not meaning that you're not drunk it means your personality your attitude your submission also relates to things like uh, when we talk about hair it's a submission thing we're not going to cover that right now we're going to cover that later but that's part of that so Paul identifies am I stepping on your stuff right now you walked all over it but honey that's all right <laughs> Did I do it okay? Did I raise? Just keep going. You're good. Paul identifies three. I'm going to hear about that later. Paul identifies three aspects of holiness. Three aspects. Right. Adorning. Mm 
-hmm. Apparel. Right. Attitude. Right. 2 Corinthians 7 and 1, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and filthiness of the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So tonight, our focus on what we're going to be talking about tonight and what we're getting on is, is apparel. That's what we're going to talk about. In Deuteronomy 22 and 5, the woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are a what? Let's say that word again. Okay, unto the Lord thy God. 1 Samuel 6, 16 and 7, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as a man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Now, can I, can I expound on that just a little bit? I hate when those that want to fight against things of God use this scripture out of context. They say, well, God don't care what you look like on the outside. He looks on the heart. Y'all better hope that God looks on the outside and not on the heart. Because some folks that look good on the outside have a bad heart. And those that want to say, well, God doesn't care what I look on the outside. He just looks at my heart. You better hope that he doesn't. Because he'll see a whole lot of things that you don't want him to see on the inside. But that's, that's taken out of context. God was talking about his character. He cares about your character. And when you have character, you have no problem in following the things of God. Christian character matters. So when people want to take that scripture and say, well, Deuteronomy 22 and 5 does not mean what it means because 1 Samuel, it, he says, but the Lord looks on the heart. What does the heart say? Because if the heart does not love what Deuteronomy 22 and 5 says, then God's going to find you in a problem in your heart. And I, do you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes I think we would want God to just look on our outside and not look at the heart because the outside might be a little cleaner than what the heart actually is. This is yours. So does it matter how we appear on the outside if God looks on the heart? Absolutely, because man looks on the outside. Mm -hmm. Man does look on the outward appearance. I think that it is, you know, it is a, it's also uh, worthy of noting that, you know, the scripture is specifically re referencing to someone's physical appearance, their height, you know, w what they look like. It was not really referring to what he was wearing, right? No, so yeah. that's worthy of mentioning. But, but man does look on the outward and God looks on the heart. So some dress to be admired, mm -hmm. pleasing themselves. Some dress to be accepted, yeah. pleasing others. But born again Christians should dress to glorify God. We should dress to glorify God. I should not be trying to dress to please myself necessarily. And this doesn't mean that we, we want to... You know, if we're, if we're dressing to glorify God, then that means we, we are dressing nice. We, we, it, it doesn't mean that we are trying to look sloppy and unkempt and everything else. Yeah. I think that godly women can look beautiful and look godly at the same time. Amen. So, but we should dress to glorify God, not to, to please someone else or to, you know, good. satisfy some type of pride within ourselves. Very good. How we dress 
reveals what we want the world to believe about us. When a person becomes a true born-again Christian, they realize that God accepts them in their true natural selves, the way that God created them. They feel good about themselves because they are a child of God and not because they conform to the world or society standards. They realize that what God loves most about them is not what is on the outside, but what is inside. Yes. Right? If external holiness doesn't develop in the life of a Christian, then something is wrong. It doesn't matter what the denomination is. If external holiness never develops in a true born-again Christian, something is not right. True. We need to hear this message today. Mm -hmm. Immaturity, it's going to be one of three things. Either it's spiritual immaturity, which as we've learned is normal, and that's quote-unquote okay for, for a time, right? Mm -hmm. Okay? Um, secondly, it could be a worldly spirit or incorrect teaching. So maybe it's not the individual's fault if they've never been, if they've never been taught anything different, why would they do anything different? So, so one of those three, three things can be involved there if you never see any manifestation of an external uh, change in a person's life. Either there's a worldly spirit going on there, especially when you see them where they used to live it and now they don't want to live it no more. That's the world starting to invade. Mm -hmm. Amen. Okay. Um, or uh, it's incorrect teaching or they're, they're just not, you know, quite mature yet. Not just get saved, but stay saved. That's the key. That's the goal. Right. Yep. We are not just, it's great to get saved, but we want to stay saved. Amen. Many sincere people are sincerely wrong. It's easy to get saved. It is. It's easy. Yeah. That's not hard because God's freely right. given that. Right. The hard part is continuing right. with what God asked us to do. Amen. That is so true. So many, many sincere people are sincerely wrong. We should pray for them and have a good answer for them. Right? Hosea chapter 6 tells us that people are destroyed. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. So that's part of what we're doing tonight. Amen. We have to, we, thank you. We should get a baton. Yeah. Pass a baton. We have to teach people. Not just profess. Okay? We have to teach people how not just to profess their faith. I think some folks that have been in church for a while do this because what they see others do, but they don't understand. Um, they practice it, but they don't know how to profess it. In other words, what we're talking about tonight, uh, we're taking time and we're going slow and, and we're, we're taking our time with this because we want people to understand why the why we do what we do is not because of some old preachers and being um, just the problems and they wanted to just be harsh and different things. These are biblical principles that are brought out into our Christian living every day. And so we need to understand um, how to profess this, not just practice it. Right. I like this. 
is that the Spirit of God will not continue to reside in an immodest vessel. Pivotal will say, you know, going back to the scripture that we read in Samuel about the heart, um, people will say, well, it's about what's on the inside, not on the outside. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, and I'm, it's going to be a crude example, so get ready. My mother's not here tonight, so this is fine. But if I give you a water bottle that's been rolled around in a cow patty, you ain't going to drink from the water no matter how thirsty you are because the vessel on the outside is filthy. If all on the outside, I tell you, is covered with COVID-19, you're not going to drink the good water that's on the inside. So we need to please God, not just with what's on the inside, but then also what's on the outside because nobody wants to, to deal with a dirty vessel on the inside or on the outside, okay? So it doesn't make a difference. We say, well, we like the way this looks, and we like the way this looks, and we like the way this is. It's not about what we want. It's about what God wants. There's so much scripture that a person's appearance indicates what state they're in. As a pastor, this is why I wanted to talk about this part, is as a pastor, I can start to tell when somebody starts their little downward slide by the way that they start picking up things that they used to say that they didn't believe in. But Psalms 109 and 29 says, let my adversaries be clothed with shames. Mine says shame. Zephaniah 1 and 8, the Lord says, I will punish those that are clothed in strange clothing. Esther couldn't even go into the king's court without proper attire. So my wife gave me this today. She's very wise. And she gave me this today, and I thought, I'm going to give you all the credit for this one, okay? The demoniac. And I've preached about this over and over again. I've never seen this before in this light. Is that before being delivered of the enemy, this, the, the demons that lived within him, he was naked and ran around the tomb chained and naked. But when delivered, he fell upon himself in front of Jesus and worshiped fully clothed there was something about being fully clothed that made a difference in how he approached and worshiped god he was found fully clothed in a, something else you pointed in his right mind after he was delivered we cannot say that clothes don't matter when over and over again the bible addresses it we say, well, God doesn't care. Then why is there so much about this in Scripture? All the way into Revelations, from the beginning to the end, in heaven, the redeemed are clothed a certain way, fine linen, white and clean. Across two testaments in the thousands of years, God cares what we wear. Cares. But in the last days, there will be an apostate spirit that will reject all of what we just talked about. And we're going to break down some of the scriptures that we read to you because we're, we'll just we're going to get down to the nitty-gritty about why we do dress the way that we dress. Okay? Because there doesn't need to be, hopefully, there will not be any confusion about where we stand on that issue. But in the last days, there will be an apostate spirit that's going to reject all of what we just talked about. Let's just consider the fact that for 5,900 years, 
from the beginning of the very first man and woman up until about 80 years ago, 90, maybe 80 or 90 years ago, women dressing modestly and in some form of dress or skirt was the accepted and proper way for a woman to dress. For almost 6,000 years, it was a certain way. And just now, in the last 80 or 90 years, it has shifted. Yeah. And now, it's completely changed. Not only for what a woman, that for the, of a woman dressing in a skirt or a dress, but also in modesty. Modesty is just not much of an issue at all. The less she wears, the sexier and more beautiful she appears. Go right ahead. Can you do me a favor? Sure. I can do it. One of the, can we address the fact that you can be in a dress or a skirt and still be immodest? Oh, yes, we're going to talk about that. Thank you. Yeah. We're going to talk. He, he jumps ahead sometimes, y'all. Okay, so do I. Sorry, Isaiah no. chapter 4 and verse 1. I know we might get a, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to hit some things that might seem a little deep, but there, but you can under, there's nothing that you cannot understand. Okay. Isaiah chapter four and verse one. And in that day, seven women shall take hold of one man saying, we will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. And the only reason, the reason I brought up this scripture, seven women is prophetic to the seven candlesticks, which is the churches in the book of Revelation. Many Christians want to eat their own bread mm. from the word of God. Many Christians want to eat their own bread. This is where we're at. Isaiah is, is a prophetic book. It's a prophetic book. And in that day, seven women will take hold of one man saying, we will eat our own bread. Okay. Uh, and, and wear our own apparel. Okay, many Christians want to eat their own bread from the word of God. Go on and read the last yes. part of that scripture. Only, uh, only let us be called by thy name. We want to do what we want to do, right. how we want to do it. Pick out of the word of God how we want to pick out of it. Eat what we want, not what we don't want. But let us be called away, called by your name, and don't let there be a reproach on us. Mm-hmm. So it tells us the opposite is when you do this, they knew a they knew by doing this that they were going to have a reproach on them and they would not be called of God if they did such. Does that make sense? All right. Seven candlesticks, that makes sense. The seven churches talked about in the book of Revelation. Remember? Laodicea, all these different churches. Okay. Um, Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers, mm-hmm. having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Yes. Right? Doesn't mean that there's not going to be churches anymore. There's going to be a lot of churches. There's going to be a lot of really big churches, but they're just going to heap unto themselves what? Right. Confusion. Having itching ears, and they'll turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. I read a scripture earlier this week 
that says they, they even will they'll cast out devils in the name of Jesus. They'll do all kinds of things. And they, don't be deceived just because they use the name of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. What does that scripture says right after that? That the, that that the Lord will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you, even though they use Jesus's name. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean they're right because they use his name. Yeah. We've got to be able to discern that. Amen. Move along. Yes, ma'am. There's a, a trend uh, that's found in what some would call modern uh, churches today. Um, the, the, that people, they flock to the churches that all the churches ever talk about are blessings and good things and miracles. They don't want to hear sound doctrine anymore. Tell us how to, to uh, balance our checkbook or how to to love our neighbor or how to have no more anxiety. And these are good topics to talk about. Sure. But if all you ever talk about is things that affect your daily walk in your own self, but not your daily walk with God, uh, there's an issue. And churches today, people will gather in groves to do that because there is no doctrine being taught. But you can't be a disciple without discipline. I'm going to say that again for some of us that just need a second to catch this. Is that people want to be a disciple today, but they want to do it without discipline. And no discipline means no instruction. No correction. When there's no, when there's no discipleship, no, no instruction, no correction... Then, then that's what's called an apostate spirit. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of churches today that are filled with that type of mentality. Talk to us about um, how you know, we can be blessed financially. Talk to us about how we can be blessed with, with uh, blessings. And it's always about things that we can get in this world. But it's never about what we have to do in this world to get us out of this place that's not our home. And where we need to go That's to. Good. That's good. Right. So they, they want to just be called a Christian. Just call me a Christian. Uh, but they don't want to live out what, they, what that being a Christian really means. Put my finger right there. Just because you go to church does not make you a disciple of Christ. Right. And just because you own a Bible does not make you a Christian. If you have to have this instruction book you have to follow the disciplines that are found within this book. Anything that is perceived as negative, don't talk about. It's called a seeker-sensitive mentality, and preachers preach it, where they don't ever say anything that would any way, shape, or form be found as negative. Matter of fact, they'll address the online crowds, they'll address the churches, and they'll just gush over them, and they'll just be their friend. But bishops always taught me that, you know, you love people. You care about people enough to not just be their friend, but to be their pastor. Because they've got all kinds of friends, but everybody needs somebody to tell them the spiritual sense of when they're right or wrong. They, they, uh, they want nothing to do with, with anything negative. They want to get everything that they can get from God in this world. 
but they don't want to give back to the kingdom of God. And it's not just about finances, but it's a whole lot more that we give back to God. And it's not about finances. It's not just about time. It's not just about our witness. It's about how we present ourselves in our discipline. Principles are very important. And once we get principles, then we cannot, then we can understand, when we get principles, we can understand practical very well. Once we get principles, principle number one, we're going to talk about some principles here. I think we're talking about four of them, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, Principles. Well, if I let's just do this. Dress and appearance are very important indicators of Christian character. Principle number one. As we mentioned earlier, we have never had lower standards as a society of modesty and decency than we do today. Mm-hmm. Can I just take a second while you do this? Yeah. Case in point, some of you that follow the news at all have seen about this concert that took place in Houston where these people have been killed. From what I have been told by pastors in Houston, that the news have colored this and they're giving a viewpoint with very, very rose-colored glasses in what actually happened uh, at the concert. It was a complete satanic ritual from the beginning to the end. Study it. Horrible. Uh, From the music to how he did things, Case in point, we know right now of eight people that died, there was eight flames that went up. He began to chant as the first dead body was carried away. Um, As a society, let's not even talk about there was some kind of an awards thing here just this year where two women uh, absolutely were absolutely vulgar on the stage to no end. And it was considered art. Standards that we had, listen, society was bad in the 50s but it was hidden. All this stuff was still going on then, but it was hidden very well. It just seems like the light begins to shine even. People say, well, this world's getting darker and darker. No, 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 no. It's been dark. The light is beginning to shine more than ever before. And as the light begins to shine, things that were in the dark begin to come up. So years ago, my youth pastor um, showed this very, very simple little visual that I had stuck with me always throughout my entire life. And it's just simply, you know, we have God up here. We have, here's the church and here's the world. And here's, we're moving along, right? We're moving along, living this life. This is time. We're moving along. Here's the world. And as time goes on, the world continues to decline and continues this downward spiral. They get closer and closer to what, hell. really to what hell, what Satan looks like. You know, they, they, get, they just continue to decline. And here's the church up here where it used to be the church in the world, you know, like we talked about earlier, there wasn't really that big of a difference in their lifestyle uh, the way they dressed and everything was all very similar, really. There wasn't a whole lot of variance other than, you know, 
what just, you know, maybe the work that was done on the inside, but by looking at their lifestyle and everything, it was pretty similar. But as the world has gone on, we are continuing, and it's, as you would, I'm sure, agree, it has sped up. This decline has, has sped up very rapidly. And so the churches up here, well, a lot of people feel like we've got to, we, we want to stay above the world standards, but we want to, but we want to, you know, be relevant to the world. Huh. So we're, we're going to stay above, we're going to stay up here. We're still above the world. We're still living above the world, but, but we're no longer up here anymore. We've declined, but we're still, we think we're doing okay because we're, bet, we're, we're still, you know, above the world. When in reality, what have we done? We've just gotten further and further and further from God, really. And so... Society should not set the level of our standard. The church should stay at a certain biblical standard and not decline with the yeah. world. That's, that's what I'm trying to get at. Yes. It's not surprising. It's really not surprising at all then that our ladies are starting to look more and more peculiar as time goes on. How can we help it? What should we do? Should we just to continue then to decline with the world so that we don't look so peculiar? No. No. Clothes and our appearance is our most powerful nonverbal communicator. We are or we will soon be come. We are or we will soon become what we wear. Principle number two. Scripture is consistent in condemning improper apparel. Number two. Scripture is consistent in condemning improper apparel. The Bible is stocked full of stories, examples, allegories, and admonitions regarding apparel. Uh, Pastor went over a few earlier, but if I'm telling you what, if we started from the beginning and went through all the way, we'd be here for a long time. But the, trust me when I tell you, the Bible is full, full of it. Wrong adornment and wrong apparel reveals an inner pride. It reveals a problem inside of us. In the New Testament, there are two types of women that are described. The bride of Christ. How is the bride of Christ dressed? In pure white. Amen? Yeah. And the second type of woman described is the harlot church. Drunk on the blood of the saints of God because she is only a religious Christian and not a real one. Mm. Modesty must conform to God's opinion of modesty and not yours and not mine and certainly not the world's opinion. Amen. So is it time yet to talk about what is modest and what is not modest? No, not exactly. Okay. Stick to the script. <laughs> yes, ma'am. So we're on principle number three. And it states that the Bible consistently condemns a lustful look. Right. The revealing clothing of our day promotes that advertising, social media, all of that promotes it. What do you do when you promote when you reveal more than you should reveal, what are you promoting? A uh, few things. 
stores open. Um, I'm so, uh, my self-esteem in myself is so low that I feel like I must do this to either attract a man or keep my man. If you make your wife feel like she has to dress a certain way for you to be attracted, you're not attracted to her. You're attracted to the look. Can I tell a funny story about us from Bible school? <laughs> can I tell that? You can. <laughs> you have to forgive me. We were just dating. I don't know, for not very long, maybe four, four months, three months, something like that. And uh, they had nerd day at school. And, and at this time, I was pretty much infatuated with her. And uh, she came downstairs on nerd day. And she played the part very, very well. <laughs> to the point to where I was like, you got to go change. <laughs> I didn't want to sit by her. I didn't want to be, and I learned a lesson. I can't remember who it was who said something to me. I, I really don't want to say a name because I, I think I know, but I'm not sure. Said that if you really care, does it make a difference? Because from... 50 years from now, appearances are going to change. You're not going to be the same as you looked 50 years ago. And if you don't fall in love with her and how she has her hair or what she's looking like and dressing like, and all, then, then you really shouldn't, you should let her go. And I had to swallow my pride. I had to apologize. I think I had to take you out to Taco Bell. It was Taco John's at that time. That, that was irrelevant. <laughs> because, you know, if you are always giving a lustful look, what are you trying to accomplish? And if you don't know what I mean by the store is open, then, then, then you got issues. <laughs> or you might just be very, just talk to me later. <laughs> but if you've got a problem that you feel like you have to... Um, modestly look a certain way to keep your husband attracted to you, you, you need to, to stop and just pray, talk, have a conversation, because that's not, that's a problem between you and that man, but I'd rather be wrong there and, and, and not wrong with God. I'm, I'm, go ahead, I'm done. So, the Bible consistently condemns a lustful look, um, revealing clothing in our day, like you said. God wants, God wants us to glorify him, not us. Right, right. God says, not my people. My people want people to look at me. Meaning God. God's saying, my people want people to look at me, God. Amen. They want to glorify God. When we, and I'm going to talk about us ladies, enter a room, we can either bring with us a godly, modest, righteous spirit, not a self-righteous spirit, a, mod, a, a godly, modest, righteous spirit, or we can bring a tempting, alluring, sensual spirit, much depending upon how we are dressed. Our femininity can be a stumbling block in the church, or it can be a defense 
and a blessing to the church. We'll talk a little bit more about that too. God does not only call us to modesty to prevent sin, he also calls us to it to preserve intimacy. Go ahead. I'm thankful that you left this hard one for me. Okay. Christians must respect gender distinctions in clothing by wearing apparel that affirms their male or female identities. Right. The Bible attaches great importance to gender distinction. A woman who wants to function like a man will dress like a man, and vice versa. Mm -hmm. We blur gender distinctions when we wear genderless clothing. And we are losing our male and female identities and confusing the roles. The schools, the world, educators do not tell us who we are. Nature tells us who we are. And nature began, not by a big bang. If you want to well, get into that, it, it starts with the Bible principles. So we got to be very careful. Um, unisex clothing is an attempt from the enemy to destroy the order and beauty of God's creation. Right. Again, we must never teach that clothes make or break a Christian. What you wear does not make you spiritual or could ever be enough to give you righteousness in the sight of God. But real Christians will always reveal themselves, their identity, by living with modest appearance and wearing modest clothing. It's not happening if it's, it, it is not happening, then we're dealing with either immaturity, worldly spirit, or incorrect teaching. And let me just put this in here now, and if I'm jumping ahead, say something. But you can't even go into the bathroom without having gender distinctions, supposedly, unless you're in Target. Because even then, how we distinguish is how. You go to a man, a men's bathroom, and I know this is such a, a push, but he has pants on. And when you look at the ladies' bathroom, how you know the difference between a male and a female is she has a skirt on. And it, we, have, we have been blessed to travel a little bit around outside of North America. And it's no different in, in countries uh, outside of America. You go to their bathrooms, their baños, or whatever you want to call it. It's the same. There's no difference. Now, you may not be able to say... Uh, man or woman, you can't even go to some Mexican restaurants and you have to take a double check because you can't just, you have to look because they may have some, you know, hermano or hermana or something, chica or something on there. And, and you have, you, nobody wants to walk in the wrong bathroom. But the distinction makes a difference. Okay, before I get myself in trouble. All right, so <clears throat> we're going to take it right back to the beginning tonight back to the beginning and see what the Bible teaches us about modest and gender distinctive clothing because it teaches us both, which is why we still practice both. If the Bible didn't teach it, we wouldn't need to practice it. But because the Bible teaches it and we're apostolic Pentecostal, which means that we do our very best to follow the entire word of God and not just the parts we like, 
this is why we still practice it. So Adam and Eve were created. They were clothed in innocence. Theologians say that this means God's glory, which is kind of funny when you think about it, because how many times have you heard that? My kid came out, and they were dressed in nothing but God's glory. (laughs) (laughs) But as soon as sin entered, their nakedness became a shame unto them. And, number one, and number two, it became a danger to them. Because from the moment man fell in sin, nakedness became a source of temptation and a source of danger to others. Their nakedness did not result from taking off physical garments. They had never worn any. But they became aware of their nakedness as soon as they sinned. And now they are separated from God's glory that had been their covering. This is the initial problem of man. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 25. They were both naked and not ashamed before sin entered their lives. That's a fact. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7. We bump ahead a little bit. Their eyes are open because now they've sinned. Mm -hmm. Their eyes are opened, and now they know that they are naked. So they sewed fig leaves and made aprons, the Bible says. The Hebrew word for apron is hagora. Let me tell you why, again, and we mentioned this last week, sometimes it's really important for us to break it down, what some of these words mean in Hebrew or in Greek, depending on who the author of a certain book of the Bible is. And we're going to find out. Why tonight? Again, there's many reasons why, but another reason. So let me get rid of some of this. Maybe I should have had you be my erase guy. I should have done that for you. I'm sorry. So Hagora, apron. And I wanted to have a a board up here because uh, since we're using Hebrew, I don't think anybody in here speaks Hebrew. So sometimes when we say some of these words, you're like, it's, it, you start to tune out because you're like, okay, we don't, we're getting too deep, and I, I'm speaking Hebrew now, and I'm not going to listen. So uh, it's not hard. It, I promise you it's not hard. So har, apron equals hagora, and simply what that means is hagora uh, uh, means uh, covering the hips and the pubic region, the loin area. Okay, this is what Adam and Eve made for themselves. This was man's idea of modest apparel. But then God shows up in verse 10. Adam says, I heard your voice and I was afraid because I was naked and hid. Verse 21, God made coats of skin for Adam and Eve and clothed them. The word coat... In Hebrew, is help me out. What does it say? Kutane. <laughs> it is K U T T K U T T O N E T O N E T. Okay, that's you the word. You see that code. back there in the back in the cheap seats? For the Daniel, are you able to make a slide and put that up there, please? This is what she's talking about: apron. Agora, you're such a good son-in-law. 
Okay, kutine, which means, what, what is that? It's a tunic with sleeves coming down to the knees, sometimes all the way to the ankle. Loose fitting from the neck with sleeves flowing and down. That's what coat, that's what God made for Adam and Eve. This is God's idea of modest apparel. Man's idea was not God's idea of modest apparel. Mm -hmm. He reclothed them. Go figure, it wasn't an apostolic Pentecostal preacher's idea. Like some people would try to say, okay? So God's principles of modest apparel does not change because God does not change. Yeah. Nakedness was covered from the beginning by God to defeat the temptation that it created. It is associated with sexual impulses and desires, so much so that to see or uncover those two terms, nakedness, is a biblical euphemism for sexual intimacy because it's supposed to be, right? Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 17 mm -hmm. is another example there. Go ahead. Uh, that was good. Nakedness is a moral shame, and our nakedness must always be covered. It's not a cultural principle. It's not a, uh, just for uh, the North Americans, the North American church. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a biblical principle. Let me just stop here and just for argument's sake, because somebody, and I just checked to make sure, but every once in a while you'll get somebody that'll want to troll when you get them talking about this, and they'll want to stop and they'll want to say, well, what about people here and people there, and, and we know tribes in Africa, and they like this. Why do we try to press the issue? Right or wrong, we're running out of time. Um, and it was my job to do this, so we're going to stop here. It's on me, okay? Okay. But can we just cover that? I wanted to cover just for a few minutes before we get going. <laughs> we'll cover it next week. I'm sorry. I just want to point out that even though you know, gentlemen wear slacks and a dress shirt or a shirt, and they have it, and, and the, 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 they dress, they're appropriate, just because they have them on does not make them modest. Does not, sorry. Because, you know, Bishop brought this out years ago, and I don't know if it's original, I'm just going to call it original because it's good. Because if your britches are so tight, that I could read the how to wash them tag. <laughs> and if you wear skirts that are so short and so tight that when you get up, you have to do everything you can to shimmy them down. And if you bend over too much, too much is seen. Why do you feel the, ne the need to do such unless the store is open and you're trying to flash the bling to attract? I'm, a, I'm being pointed tonight because it's, 
it's gotten to a point where it's, it's, it's a problem. I mean, it, it's hard preaching. Again, we get tickled about this kind of stuff, but it's truth. It, and you know what happens is, again, I go back as a pastor. When I see this, I start to see the direction that we're taking. My coat is right here, but I want you to grab a hold of it. Mm-hmm. If I start to get into something that we're going to talk about later. You already have. Okay, too late. You already have. Too bad. You're stepping on next week's stuff. Okay. We, we see it not only individuals, but we see it in churches. Where churches that once stood for, for principles. And they'll say, oh, but they still believe the core beliefs. They still believe in the Holy Ghost. That's great. But there's more in the New Testament that's taught about how to stay saved than just how to get saved. All right. She didn't pull my coattail. I'm done. We're done. We're going to get deep. We're going to talk more about it next week. For example, we're going to answer this question. So didn't men and women both wear robes? What's the distinction? We're not going to answer that tonight. You have to come back next week. Well, we made a pact that when one of we got to be, we're already over. Let's stand. I'm sorry, we're a little later than what I like to be. I mean, we haven't held you that long. And I, some of y'all still stay 45 minutes and talk, so I don't feel too bad. But these are things that we feel like are needed, and I, I feel like that some of your response um, has been very generous in telling us that you have appreciated this. It's hard to teach this things because it it steps on toes. But it has to be taught. And so if you have enjoyed this, please, 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 uh, not just let us know. Give us a thumbs up. You know, two thumbs up. $100, be good too. No, just kidding. Uh, we, have, we have felt this, needed to do this for a while. So, amen.